Pushkin. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER This episode contains explicit language. In the fall of 1974, the musician Randy Newman released an album called Good Old Boys. The most beautiful song on the record is the third song on the first side. Wait, can I prevail on you to just do a little bit of Marie? Sure. So I love that song so much. Well, thank you very much. Like a princess, the night you met, with your hair piled up high, I will never forget. My name is Malcolm Gladwell. You're listening to Revisionist History, my podcast about things overlooked and misunderstood. This episode is about Randy Newman's Good Old Boys, one of the most remarkable albums of its era. I listened to it for the first time years ago. But then I happened to listen to it again very recently and realized that Good Old Boys is not an album you can hear just once and hope to do it justice. Because it's not just remarkable, it's unsettling. I don't think an album like this could be made today. And by the end of this episode, I suspect you'll agree with me. I decided to go to California, sit down with Randy Newman, and create a listener's guide to one of the most perplexing works of music that I have ever encountered. I'm drunk right now, baby. But I've got to be. I 
never could tell you what you mean to me. I loved you the first time I saw you, and I always loved you. Newman is in his 70s, still writing music, tall and slightly intimidating. He's Hollywood royalty. His uncle Alfred was a composer who was nominated for an Academy Award 44 times, won nine times. Newman has had a second career writing for the movies as well, like You've Got a Friend in Me for Toy Story. Newman is unusual among songwriters because he writes in character. And the narrator of Good Old Boys is a creation of Newman's. He's called Johnny Cutler a steelworker from Birmingham, Alabama, 30 years old. The song Marie is about Johnny Cutler coming home late after a night out with the boys and gazing, love-struck, at his sleeping wife. I like the idea uh, very much about being inarticulate without, that's not the right word, inarticulate, but being unable to, to have the words unless you drink something. You know, I can't say this to you. And maybe to lack the ability to say those kind of words. But he's, the fact that he has been drinking and he, and you realize he can only say what he's saying because he's That's drunk right. and because she's asleep. Yeah. <laughs> that right? Too, yeah. But that even, that makes me, it humanizes him and even more. I sort of feel so he sorry. He certainly loves him. her. I mean, it would seem that that isn't drink but it might be Mm -hmm. is this a good guy and my answer to that is i don't know i mean Mm -hmm. i'm suspicious of of this oh i'm drunk right now baby but maybe when i'm awake i might knock this shit out of you sometime randy newman wrote marie he created johnny cutler he dreamt up a beautiful love song for him but he doesn't know if he understands him or even if he likes him as if Johnny Cutler came from his imagination, but is now somehow independent of it. It makes you wonder, who's in charge of this song? Sometimes I'm crazy But I guess you know and I'm weak and I'm lazy And I hurt you so I never listen to what you say When you come to me in trouble, darling, I just turn away But I love you And I loved you the first time I saw you And I always loved The story behind Good Old Boys begins with a man named Lester Maddox. Maddox was governor of Georgia from 1967 to 1971. Now he's mostly forgotten, but in his day, he was notorious. I think he's supposed to act for real. I don't look at myself as one of the very smart people. So I try to act like Lester Maddox, like inside I feel and think and believe. Maddox grew up in the Depression in Atlanta, his father was an alcoholic. My dad never made hardly any money. We times we didn't even have a bathroom in the house. We had four rooms and a bath, <laughs> rather than four <laughs> rooms and a bath. And 
We didn't have electricity. Maddox dropped out of high school, got a job as a steelworker to help support his five younger siblings, married his childhood sweetheart, Virginia, and after the war, he started a diner near Georgia Tech. The house specialty was skillet fried chicken. He called his place the Pickrick. So I wanted a name no one else had. And I came on the name, uh, upon the name Pickwick. And I found out that really that Wick doesn't mean anything except what you know it to be, Wick. That's what Webster will even tell you that, Wick. And someone had already used the name Pickwick in England. So I couldn't use that. So it was about 3 o'clock one morning. I'd been working on it for weeks. Maddox was one of those people who you can't do a cartoon version of because he already looks like a cartoon version of himself. He's skinny, with an oversized head, bald dome, black plastic glasses, always in a black suit, moves with a kind of loose-limbed floppiness, like a clown. There are so many oral history interviews with Lester Maddox floating around the state of Georgia that he must have spent as many hours reminiscing about his time as governor as he actually spent serving as governor. The man liked to talk. See, to pick means to fastidiously, to pick out, to choose to select, and Rick means to pile up, to heap or to mass. So I named my restaurant Pick Rick and said if you'd picnic it to Pick Rick and pick it out, we would Rick it up. <laughs> and we, would, we did, and that's why it was named Pick Rick. I've never heard anything else being named Pick Rick. Maddox advertised the Pickrick in the Saturday edition of the Atlanta Journal in a column with the title, Pickrick Says. Lots of one-liners and Maddoxisms, like the 1950s version of tweets. Well, I talked about Christmas. I talked about marriage. I talked about the monkey house at Grant Park. I talked about weather. I talked about fishing and my ads. But soon his column, Pickrick Says, becomes more and more political. Because this is Atlanta, in the mid-1950s, one of the birthplaces of the civil rights movement. And Pickrick is a 10-minute drive from Auburn Avenue, where Martin Luther King and Andrew Young and Vernon Jordan and everyone else are starting to stir things up. And Lester Maddox is not at all happy with that. He's a segregationist. And the more strident Maddox gets in his weekly ads, the more popular Pickrick says becomes. People start buying the Atlanta Journal on Saturday just to read what Maddox is up to. Maddox decides to run for mayor of Atlanta. He has no organization, no money. He drives himself around. And he loses, but the race is closer than you'd think. So he runs again and loses, and runs a third time and loses. But then the wave of desegregation protests hits Atlanta in the early 1960s. The public schools are integrated first, then the lunch counters, then the restaurants. And since the Pickwick restaurant does not admit black people, the civil rights protesters come knocking. Well, the first time I was about four whites and three blacks came in. And Virginia and I were about to eat our lunch on Saturday afternoon. They told me what they were going to do, and I told them you're not going to do any such things. What they were going to do was eat a picric with the television cameras as witness. I said, you've never been here before. You just want to fuss and fight. So I grabbed two of them. I think one of them was John Lewis or Brown or somebody. And I just about had them out the door when they happened to remember they're supposed to lay down on the floor. If they hadn't thought about that, I'd had them both out. And uh, they got on the floor, and cause I couldn't drag them, so I called my black employees out of the kitchen. And I said, these people are trying to destroy our business. They don't want to eat with us. They just want to create a problem. they got the television and radio and everyone with them. 
And I said, I'm going to give you $10 for each one of them you throw out in the next 30 seconds. Maddox's employees threw them out, but the protesters came back. This time, Maddox met them at the door, with the television cameras rolling and a crowd starting to gather. There's Maddox in front of the picric with his black suit and bald head, protesters shouting, cameras all around. He's in heaven. I'll use axe handles, I'll use guns, I'll use paint, I'll use my fists, I'll use my customers, I'll use my employees, I'll use anything at my disposal. This property belongs to me, my wife, and my children. It doesn't belong to anybody else. I'll throw out a white one or a black one or a red-headed one or a bald-headed one. It doesn't make any difference. Maddox gets hauled into court because the Civil Rights Act has been passed and what he's doing is illegal. He's given a choice, integrate or shut his doors, and he decides to shut the picric. One of the most popular and successful restaurants in Atlanta, the business that he has spent his lifetime building that made him famous, and to every Southerner angry at the way the world is turning, he becomes a hero. A friend says to him, you know, maybe you should run for governor. And Maddox says, okay. And in 1966, he wins. A white nationalist in the hospitality business who came to public attention writing pithy, politically charged statements in a widely read media forum runs against the political establishment and pulls off an upset victory. And by the way, it's a very close race. Maddox doesn't actually get as many votes as his opponent, but he wins when the election is thrown to the legislature. Oh, and a huge part of Maddox's rhetoric is how the media can't be trusted. He's constantly accusing newspapers of lying about him. In fact, in the corner of his official governor's portrait, there's a little table with a dead fish on it, wrapped in a copy of the Atlanta Journal. A white nationalist in the hospitality business who wrote pithy statements on a media platform runs against the political establishment, accuses the news media of running fake news about him, doesn't get as many votes as his opponent, and nonetheless takes over the highest executive office. I mean, when has that ever happened? Maddox serves four years, has to step down because of term limits. Jimmy Carter takes over as governor of Georgia, as the state, you might say, returns to its senses. And Maddox consoles himself with running for and winning the job of lieutenant governor. He is well on his way to obscurity. And then he gets a call from New York, from the Dick Cavett Show, the great late-night talk show of the 1970s. They want him as a guest. That's when we return. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Imagine you're part of a typical American family in the 17 or 1800s. After a long winter, you'd find the inside of your home covered in a thick layer of soot. Your kerosene lamps and your coal or wood heating system would have rendered your home in desperate need 
of a vigorous cleaning. And thus began the annual ritual of spring cleaning, which also included the very important job of changing out your smelly straw mattress. And while your current mattress most likely isn't made of straw, there's still a good chance it needs replacing. You deserve a Sattva Luxury Mattress. Sattvas are meticulously handcrafted and include all the luxury features you'd expect from a high-end mattress. But because they're sold online, they cost a fraction of the price of retail. What's more, Sattva will set up your mattress in the room of your choice and take your old one at no extra charge. After all, you've got enough work ahead of you with all that spring cleaning to do. And now, save $200 on $1,000 or more at sattva.com slash Gladwell. That's S-A-A-T-V-A dot com slash Gladwell. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. In America, you get food to eat. Won't have to run through the jungle and scuff up your feet. The first Randy Newman song I ever heard was Sail Away. You just sing about Jesus and drink wine all day. It's great to be an American. Sail Away is the title track of the album Randy Newman made right before he wrote Good Old Boys. I was a kid when I first heard it. And I had the same experience I would later have with Newman's other songs. I didn't get it at first. I'm not sure I even paid attention to the words. I just loved how grand it was. Ain't no lion or tiger, ain't no mama snake. Just a sweet watermelon in the buckwheat cake. Everybody is as happy as a man can be. I'm a boy, little walk, stay away with me. But then I got a little older, and as I heard Sail Away, I said, Wait a minute. Everybody is as happy as a man can be. Climb aboard, little wog, sail away with me. Wog, really offensive British colonial slang for someone who's not white. It's the N-word, basically. I noticed some interesting story at behind Sail Away, the song. Oh, it was uh, a guy was going to make a, a movie and he was going to give 10 minutes to five or six pop people, Van Morrison, I remember, and Hendrix, and to do 10-minute thing. And I came up with this thing. It, it had a sort of a sea shanty before it, you know, a very Irish kind of yo-ho, you know, there. And then this guy be standing in a clearing in the jungle and singing this song. And that was what I was going to do with my 10 minutes. 
Randy Newman wrote a song about an American slave trader standing somewhere in West Africa, giving his sales pitch to potential recruits. Come to America. You're going to love this little cotton plantation that I've lined up for you. Ain't no lion or tiger, ain't no marble snake. Just a sweet watermelon in the buckwheat cake, you know. <laughs> it's a nose laugh. Yeah. The character is so kind of outrageous. Yeah. That, but we're not laughing along with him. We're horrified by him. I mean, it's... Yeah, but people laugh at that ner- in a nervous way at the watermelon joke and uh, uh, sit around and talk, think about Jesus, drink wine all day. Now, there's a way to do that song so that it's not so shocking. In America. Like the cover version done later the same year by Bobby Darin, who was one of the biggest pop stars of the 1960s. Won't have to run through the jungle Bobby Darin is, is happy, yeah. Yeah. Come to America, little one. You know, they got rid of the wad. Oh, he did. Oh, my God. <laughs> that, but oh, that's, that's like blasphemy. Climb aboard, little one, and sail away with me. In Bobby Darin's version, the line... Climb aboard, little wog, sail away with me, which is crucial in establishing how vile the narrator is, becomes climb aboard, little one, sail away with me. But I'm sorry, I can't get I can't get past this so quickly. That's unbelievable. That he did a happy version. Yes, it's this. It isn't. I mean, it, it, there's there it is. The thing is, Newman liked Bobby Darren. He knew him, and he didn't know what to think. I mean, there is a world of difference between wog and one. Also, if I'm not mistaken, Bobby Darren substitutes the words mamba snake with mama snake. Ain't no lions and tigers and no nurturing mama snake. You know, he, he was, oh, I'll do I'd like to do that. And it's like, come to America, you know. Coming to America. <laughs> but this is, this, this song is he, like he's, this. He's not a dumb guy either. This, is, this song is like a... It is a wallop. It is emotional wallop. It yeah. is a searing song about this, the darkest moment in America's past. It's, it's a jaw drop. It's like springtime for Hitler in a way. <laughs> <laughs> little one. I'm born little one. I come away with me. You know, he just was so bright. He, his showbiz instincts couldn't <laughs> restrain himself. <laughs> How did you feel when you first heard that version? I I felt, you know, oh my, Jesus Christ, and that was it. The original intention of Sail Away was to make the listener uncomfortable. Newman takes a familiar figure, a salesman, an entrepreneur, a patriot, and gives him a rollicking sea shanty. But then he forces you to acknowledge that underneath all that, there lurks a monster. Bobby Darren chickened out. He couldn't do it. He didn't want us to be uncomfortable. And so Wog became one, and Sail Away became a glorified nursery rhyme. I don't mean to single Bobby Darren out, because I think that most of us take the easy path in these situations, too. But the particular genius of Randy Newman is that he won't do that. He can't. The Dick Cavett Show! So... It's 1970. Lester Maddox gets a call from Dick Cavett. Come on our show. He flies to New York. And who tunes in that night? Randy Newman. Ladies and gentlemen, Dick Cavett. 
Dick Cavett is a year into his legendary late-night show on ABC, up against Johnny Carson's Tonight Show. Cavett's show was like a highlight reel of the 1970s. He did the greatest ever interview with Jimi Hendrix. Groucho Marx was a regular. So was Muhammad Ali. He once had Salvador Dali on the same show as the legendary pitching great Satchel Paige. The famous debate between Gore Vidal and Norman Mailer? That was on Dick Cavett. Listen, we have a very good show tonight, and I want to move right into it. Um, an excellent show, I think. I don't know. How do I know? I haven't seen it. It might be a big dud for all I know. <laughs> you know why do people say that at the beginning of a show? Cavett looks like Paul Newman's baby brother. No more than five foot six, impish, big polka-dotted tie. His first guest is a woman named Alice Gray, an entomologist from the American Museum of Natural History. Cat eyeglasses, hair in a bun, who brings a box full of cockroaches to the set. What can we do about them? What can we learn about them? Are they our friends? Uh, no, they're not exactly our friends, but they are certainly our companions uh, in all our, <laughs> all our doings. Huh? And uh, I'm rather fond of them. They have a distinguished lineage. How many of us could meet our ancestors of 300 million years ago and recognize them? The cockroaches can. They go back that far? They go back that far. That's, the, that's older than the dinosaurs. Twice as old as the dinosaurs. All the way back to the coal age. They were already recognizably cockroaches. That's amazing. It's, it's always the people you don't like who are the last to leave, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> They'll be here long after we have quitted this earth, I'm sure. Cavett does a good 10 minutes on cockroaches. Are these your cockroaches or some of ours? <laughs> the cockroach lady finally leaves the stage, and then... My next guest tonight is Governor Lester Maddox. Out comes Maddox, the gleaming bald head, the black suit. Uh, Governor Maddox, I, I still call you Governor, don't I? Call me most anything you want to, everybody else does. Help okay. yourself. <laughs> right. yourself, Dick. Have you ever followed bugs before? Uh, uh, like yes, a few moments ago on your program, sir. That's the only time. That's the only time? God, I love Dick Cavett. They shake hands, they take their seats, Rust-colored swivel loungers atop a gray shag carpet. Cavett shows the audience a photograph of Maddox holding his axe handle outside the Pickrick restaurant, and Maddox then corrects him and says, no, it's not an axe handle, it's a pick handle, and goes off on one of his long, endless digressions about the meaning of the Pickrick. The pick denotes uh, hard work, and we had in the restaurant some of these pick handles, two mm. kegs of them by a big old fireplace where we burned hickory wood. There were six of them in each of the kegs, and they were dark red because that was the, uh, they looked something similar to a chicken leg a pick handle does. Not oh. like the axe handle that the news media talks about. And Cavett, who must be wondering, what on earth, simply says, Well, I've certainly learned a lot. <laughs> Cavett brings on his next guest, the football player Jim Brown, then one of the most famous professional black athletes in the country. Brown settles down next to Maddox, who is literally half his size, and gives him a polite smile. And Cavett says to the two of them, Do you feel separate but equal? Uh... <laughs> I realize that's 1960s civil rights humor, but I still think it's hilarious. Maddox turns to Brown and says, I thought you was the singer. He thought Jim Brown was James Brown. He then volunteers his personal definition of what being a segregationist really means. A segregationist is a person that loves his race enough, or other races enough, has enough of racial pride and integrity to want to preserve them. 
And I think a racist is one that doesn't care enough for his race or another race to where they would don't care whether they're amalgamated or destroyed or not. Amalgamated? Good Lord. Now think about this for a moment. Maddox is no longer governor. Georgia has come to its senses and elected nice, safe, modern, non-racist Jimmy Carter. Maddox is a footnote. So what point is there in having him on a mainstream talk show like Dick Cavett? The magazine where I work, The New Yorker, had a case like this recently. Donald Trump's Svengali Steve Bannon was invited to speak at the magazine's annual literary festival. And everyone flipped out. The New Yorker's writers took to Twitter. A bunch of high-profile celebrity invitees to the festival dropped out. And the argument that was made about Bannon is an argument that could as easily have been applied to Maddox years ago. What's the point of giving someone like that a platform? I mean, what could possibly be learned from listening to them talk? And sure enough, what happens over the course of the next hour of The Dick Cavett Show? Exactly what you would think. I think what we're really talking about in this country is economic development of black people. At one point, Jim Brown says something thoughtful and reasonable, that he thinks the priority for black people ought to be economic development. And Maddox jumps on him. Economic development of all people. Well, we're talking about well, How come you're just black people? How we're come you don't want to do it for well, black I'll, people? How come you don't want to do it for you, white people? I'll tell you why. Huh? I'll tell how you why. How come you don't want to do it for everybody? How come you always can black I, people? Can I give, you're talking about all people. Can I give you an answer? Huh? I think can we I understand please. the question. <laughs> yeah. Can I give you an answer? <laughs> do you mind? Oh, go ahead. If you're ready, I'll give you time. <laughs> okay, Governor. Uh, what I'm really saying is that there are some people that have suffered in this country Poor people generally, but let's say that uh, we have various ethnic groups in this country that have attained a certain kind of equality. Black people are more or less, along with the Indians, uh, on the last rung of the ladder. Can I finish, Governor? Can I finish? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, do you mind? Now, what I'm really saying is that I feel that the way to bring about equality of black people in the system is through economic... What about equality of white people? Now, I'm going to interrupt you every time you keep calling black people. Well, what if you, about if equality you, of all people? If you interrupt me, Governor, I can't talk to you. Well, then Maddox starts going on and on about all the things he's done for black people in the state of Georgia. And Jim Brown turns to him with genuine curiosity and asks if he's had any blowback from white bigots. Have any problems from the bigots in the South? Have any problems with that? From the white bigots because you did so much for the black man. Which is kind of a great question. Because if Maddox has, in fact, been this great friend of black people then you'd think he would have angered all the hardcore segregationists and everyone else who was opposed to the civil rights movement, right? Uh, Mr. Brown asked you, Governor uh, Maddox, if you'd had any trouble from your white uh, admirers for the fact that you he have done He didn't say admirers, for... sir. No, he said bigots. Well, why didn't you say it like he said it? Huh? You, you have why me did, there. Why, did, why didn't you say it? Now, see that what I'm talking about, Dick? I, I do see you it, You take yes. words There's and push them of... around and you mislead the people in your audience No, You ought to start being honest, all of you with your words and what you're saying to people. You said admirers and he said bigots. A lot of difference, isn't it? The last half of the show is just Maddox getting more and more agitated, Dick Cavett trying to calm him down, and Jim Brown looking over at Maddox like he's a misbehaving child. Maddox asks Cavett to apologize. Cavett refuses. The audience makes astonished noises. Maddox stands up and starts to walk off the stage. Cavett says, come on, sit down. Maddox says, I'll sit down when you apologize. So Cavett says, If I called any of your admirers bigots, who are not bigots, I apologize. (laughs) This is insane. 
What was Dick Cavett thinking inviting this guy on his show? Why don't you apologize to people, George, if those friends of mine for calling them bigots? I think I mean. Now, either you do it, I'm going to leave now, Dick. Which, 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 at which point, Jim Brown pipes up, wait, what about me? How much time do I have? It's a circus. I would say that I phrased the question in a way that was not exactly accurate in the sense that he did say bigots. Have any white bigots been upset because you have done certain things but for the blacks? you came back and said my admirers, and you haven't apologized yet, and you got 15 seconds. <laughs> All right, now let me use those 15 seconds. I apologize for suggesting that a bigot would be the way of characterizing all of your admirers. Wait a minute, wait a minute, there's more time. And Lester Maddox storms off the set. Oh, oh, and I haven't even mentioned that the writer Truman Capote then shows up. He's then at the height of his celebrity, tiny, fastidious, wearing purple-tinted round sunglasses. You know, curiously enough, I had a cousin who uh, lived in Atlanta that I went went to visit and who took me to this restaurant that he ran that was called Pick a Rib or something like that. And, um, you know, well, it was called Pick a Rib, Nick a Rib, something. And he was always at the door with guns, you know, to keep any, uh, any sort of uh, Negroes out of the restaurant. But uh, I went there with this cousin of mine because it was near the campus, the college campus, and it wasn't bad, but it wasn't finger-licking good. (laughs) The whole thing is so bananas that Cavett feels the need to apologize to his audience. Uh, I'm sorry the governor has left. I went outside uh, just during the break, and he's out there with his hat and coat on, and I asked him if he would please come back and use the last minutes to say whatever he uh, would like to say, uh, because... um, uh, he felt that, I guess, that he was uh, insulted. Um, I did not mean to insult him at that moment. I, I have to say this, and I hope I don't feel, uh, it doesn't come off uh, sounding, uh, I don't know what, but uh, I, I found him, in spite of the fact that I would probably despise his feelings about uh, segregation if I were actually clear on what they, what they are, uh, a, a likable man. Would anyone go along with this? Uh, would you agree? No. The audience is not having it. Why is it? What? I'm not backing down. Shut up. I'll tell you when I'm backing down. We'll be back after this. It was a farce. What was the point? Except to allow a segregationist to play the victim. What good is there in giving someone like that a platform? Except Randy Newman was watching, whose imagination has a mind of its own. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. 
Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I was raised not to complain. I had one of those English stiff upper lip fathers. He carried his wounds and grievances on the inside. And I'm the same way. It's very hard to tell the difference between when I'm calm and happy and when I'm teetering on the edge. Is that good? Sometimes. Keeps things calm for my kids. But there are times when we have to share our burdens and enlist the help of others in making sense of our lives. That's where therapy comes in. A good therapist is someone who can walk with you and make that load on your shoulders a little lighter. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Gladwell today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Gladwell. So were you a regular Dick Cavett watcher in those years? Not that I recall. I was, uh, but I would watch, you know, if I was up, I'd watch it. Yeah. And I think I was usually up in those days. And stereotypically, you are the Dick Cavett audience, right? I am, yeah. It seemed like half an hour. You know, where they were just yelling and yelling and yelling. It was, yeah. It was so alien that I felt sorry for him. (laughs) He didn't dismiss that whole exchange or shrug or change the channel. He reacted to it. He imagines what a supporter of Lester Maddox would think watching Lester Maddox storm off the stage. Now, Dick, I'm going to give you one minute to apologize to people you call bigger saying, George, I'm going to leave your show. Now, you do whatever you want to about it. He gives that imaginary supporter a name, Johnny Cutler, a home, Birmingham, Alabama, a job, steelworker. He imagines Johnny Cutler coming home one night, drunk, gazing at his sleeping wife. And then he imagines him turning on the television. Last night I saw Lester Maddox on a TV show with some smart-ass New York Jew And the Jew laughed at Lester Maddox And the audience laughed at Lester Maddox, too Well, it may be... Oh, Lester Maddox on the TV show, smart-ass New York Jew, that's good. And they laughed at Lester Maddox, and the audience laughed at Lester Maddox, too. That's pretty good. It's yeah, pretty good. Yeah, that really is good. Clicker, clicker, clicker. That became the first song on Good Old Boys. It's called Rednecks. When I first heard that, I didn't know Lister Maddox was. Or yeah. I didn't even know that it was. But that idea of 
the Southerner going to New York and sitting down. I'm thinking Dick Cavett is Jewish, too. It's yeah, great. it's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> well, he may be a fool, but he's our fool. And if they think they're better than him, they're wrong. So when I came to this park, I took some... You want to sing along, don't you? It's like Sail Away all over again. Here's where I made this song. But then comes this. We talk real funny down here. We drank too much and we laughed too loud. We're too dumb to make it in no northern town. We're keeping niggas down. It's 1970. The South is in upheaval. Lester Maddox has just been humiliated by some smart-ass New York Jew. What do you think Johnny Cutler's going to say? College men out of LSU When in dumb, come out dumb too Hustling round Atlanta in the alligator shoes Getting drunk every weekend at the barbecues Keeping the niggas down how, we, how did people respond to that song at the time? I played it in Lafayette, uh, Louisiana, and they loved it. I got a letter, the only one I ever got on this song, from, from somebody, and he said, uh, Dear sir, uh, I was in the audience in Lafayette when you played this song. He's a black kid, and he said, uh, I don't know where you're coming from, but there I was, and I was enjoying the concert up to then, and all of a sudden I'm sitting in the middle of 1,500 white guys yelling, rednecks, we're rednecks, you know. And he said it made him very uncomfortable, and uh, he wanted to let me know. We're rednecks, we're rednecks. Southern audiences started yelling for it so they could sing along with the chorus. Did it become, was it taken over by, didn't become a kind of Southern anthem for a certain kind of, or did? When I thought that that was happening, I stopped playing it, you know, in the, in the South. He had to stop singing it. Many radio stations wouldn't play it. And you definitely wouldn't hear that song on the radio today. It even feels strange to play it here. We've become, appropriately, uncomfortable with the N-word in almost any context. You can only play Rednecks now if you explain where it came from and who Johnny Cutler was. But you can't not play it just because it makes you feel uncomfortable. Because Johnny Cutler in Birmingham, Alabama in 1970 absolutely wanted to keep the niggers down. And we can't gloss over that fact if we're being honest. Oh, and by the way, Johnny Cutler wasn't done. Down here we too ignorant to realize that the North is set to nigger free. He then names every slum in every northern city. Put in a cage in Harlem in New York City. It's free to be put in a cage on the south side of Chicago and the west side. And it's free to be put in a cage in East St. Louis. And they put him in a cage in Huffington, Cleveland. And they put him in a 
cage Belmont, San Francisco And they put him in a cage In Lenox Hill in Boston they He says to all those smug northerners When you drive with your windows up And your doors locked Through the projects of your own inner cities Are you still sure you're better than me? You have to play that too Because if you're going to be honest about who Lester Maddox really was, you have to be honest about his critics, too. Did you ever hear from Lester Maddox? He sent me an axe. He didn't? Really? Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. From his store. He sold uh, axe handles. Yeah, yeah, pick pick handles. Lester Maddox listened to a song about racial hatred, and he sent the man who wrote it a pick handle as a token of his gratitude. Revisionist History is produced by Mia LaBelle and Jacob Smith with Camille Baptista. Our editor is Julia Barton. Flawn Williams is our engineer. Fact-checking by Beth Johnson. Original music by Luis Guerra. Special thanks to Carly Migliori, Heather Fain, Maggie Taylor, Maya Koenig, and Jacob Weisberg. Revisionist History is brought to you by Pushkin Industries. I'm Malcolm Gladwell. By the way, there's a great essay on this subject in the 2014 book Let the Devil Speak by Stephen Hart. Hart writes that in Sail Away, Randy Newman showed one of America's greatest lies being crafted. In his next album, Newman would show how the lie soaked into America's bones. Come aboard little one and yeah. see I think this is sort of happy. I mean, certainly the voices make it that way. You can't do it. Yeah, it's lost all of its... If you're not... (laughs) I like that buckwheat cake. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's some kind of delicacy you're getting at this artisanal bakery. Every week at Revisionist History, we revisit the past in hopes of better understanding the future. And that's what Mark Chaikin does. But for the U.S. stock market, Mark is a living archive of financial history. He worked on Wall Street for 50 years. Across those decades, he invented three new indices for the Nasdaq, and he's predicted some of the biggest market shifts for the past decade, including the recent mania in AI stocks. Mark says the majority of Americans are misunderstanding what the AI frenzy means for their money moving forward, with potentially dramatic and dangerous consequences. He's calling this a new dawn for the U.S. stock market and predicts dozens of specific stocks will be impacted in the next 90 days. He put everything you need to know in a new presentation specifically designed for people off Wall Street. You can watch Mark's presentation for free at stockmarketmessage.com right now. Again, the link to watch is stockmarketmessage.com. That's stockmarketmessage.com. You know, there's something about the Porsche way of doing things that just speaks to me.
Take the all-new Porsche Panamera, for example. It's not just another sedan. It's a bold choice for those who aren't afraid to go against the flow, both with the car they choose to drive or the way they live their life. The Panamera redefines sports cars, comfortably seating four and proving that you don't have to sacrifice luxury for performance. Build your dream Panamera online right now at configurator.porsche.com and choose boldly. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them could make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through their day. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.